Hey everyone, welcome and welcome back to the Quaybog Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! subtitle there you can see is restoring your worry soul in these turbulent times. So this series hopefully is going to be crazy practical for you. Uh, it's based off of this book, Resilient, uh, by John Eldridge. I would highly recommend it. It's been great for my soul to read this book. Uh, I did this series a little selfishly because I felt like I needed this personally and I felt like I saw this in so many people's lives that I was like, man, We've got to do this, and it's been a, a great journey for me personally. So I'm, I'm preaching these things out of this book, um, but there's a lot of scripture, a lot of psalms that we share. Today, specifically, will be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, because the whole thing is, is based on, if you've not been here yet, if you're a visitor today, or if you're, you can't remember, because last week is like a whole week ago, uh, and then, you know, like two weeks ago was like two weeks ago. Uh, but what we've been doing in this series so far is just looking at kind of the, the, the soup that we've all been swimming in for the last few years. John Eldridge in this book tries to make us aware of what culture has done to us and how a lot of us feel and how right under the surface for a lot of people is stress and is anxiety, it's anger, it's bitterness. There's just a lot right there. And you're seeing it, I think, most clearly in, in things that are uh, these social issues, political issues. You're seeing so much hate, hatred just spill over the top. Because this is where a lot of people are right under the surface. And so he writes this book, like, how do you, how do you step into that if you are a follower of Jesus, right? You're going to say, yeah I'm, yeah, I'm a Christian, and I'm all in on that. But how does that impact where we are right now in life? And so, again, that book, this book is about that. And he also talked about a couple weeks ago, last week we hit on it again, is in light of all that stuff, how do we tap into this river of life that's presented to us in the Bible? So Old Testament, New Testament, before Jesus, after Jesus, are very clear pictures of something called the river of life. And it touches everything and brings life to everything that it flows into. And so we're told that we have access to this. So how do we find this resilience? How do we find this peace and stop trying to chase happiness? Because most of us, we think happiness is going to lead to some kind of fulfillment. If we just have the right job, the right title, as Lydia prayed, the right car, if our kids would just start acting right, if this, if that, if this. There's so many things. If I could just finally have a relationship, if I could do this, whatever. There's so many things that we want to try to find our happiness in. We want to try to find our meaning in. And it's wearing us out. It's wearing us out. I think that's one of the things that's been most frustrating for the last three years for people is we had this opportunity and time to chase a lot of things we thought would make us happy, and it's just not made us happy. So this book, again, and then the Bible itself, it, it, it meets that space right there. And then Jesus, something we talked about last week, is Jesus tells us that this life is going to be tough. A lot of people, for some reason, they get really upset with God when life is tough, when the entire Bible says life is going to be, be tough. And sometimes it's going to be way more than you can handle. It's really honest about that. But here's in Jesus in Luke 21. We covered this last week. He says that we need to pray for an enduring strength. We need to pray for a strength that prevails. What that means is that Jesus Christ is literally saying, the Greek, like the New Testament was written in Greek. It was recorded that Jesus used the word kataskio, 
that means a strength that is a combative strength. It means it's not just a, a victorious, like, yeah, I can do this. It's a you will do this kind of strength. But Jesus literally said life is going to be so tough. It's recorded in Greek that he used this specific word so that we would be like, okay, I have got to be victorious in this life. It's not just a, I'm a loser. It's not just I will never be happy. I will never be victorious. I'm just going to be stuck. That's not the mindset that Jesus says we should have, regardless of what we walk through. He says you should pray for a victorious strength. And so that, I think, for me personally was big, to understand that that's how Jesus wants us to pray. And then last week we also talked about keeping our eyes on the right story. So if you watch the news a lot, statistically speaking, you're going to be a very anxious and depressed person. If you're on social media a lot, statistically speaking, like this is measurable. This is an easily measurable thing. The more time you spend on social media, the more likely your chances go up of having anxiety, depression, and other mental health issues. Like they can track these things very easily in people. And so this kind of stuff does have an effect on us. It's not just like theoretical, like existential things we're talking about. God says, look, you're not going to find it in those things. But that's what we have available to us in our culture. So we chase social media. We chase, again, like I said, we chase all these things. And Jesus is like, I want you to keep your eyes on the right story. Because if not, everything else is going to drive you nuts. For a couple thousand years, give or take, it has, right? That's been very, very true for Christians and the things that Christianity has gone through. So that's, again, that's a, a big picture look at the, the book as a whole, where we've been so far. Um, but also, though, for this morning, I just want us to start taking a hard turn into the question of how we actually build resilience. So this is something that has been needed very much in our culture to get through the shared trauma that we've had, but it's clearly something that has been lacking. So now for the rest of the series, the latter half of the series, I want to be able to practically answer, well, how do we build this resilience? Does it just come from me? Is it like I'm just tougher or I'm just weaker than some people? Like, how does that actually work? And so I've talked to people that say, well, I just can't be as resilient as that person. They just bounce back easier than I do. And so they just kind of cut themselves off to the hope that we find in the Bible. And so, personal confession, I tend to be a person, I don't know about you, but I tend to be a person that's like, I'm just going to figure this out. I'll just grit it out, I'll work harder, I'll get it done, and that's where my resilience is going to come from. However, over time, I've realized that unfortunately, personal, personal confession here, I'm just a human being. And I'm not Superman. I'm not invincible. But I was, I've always been raised in environments where I just needed to try harder. Just be tougher. Do gooder. Right? And if that doesn't work, do good or er, right? And then that will be your path to success. It's been my whole life. It's been the message I've always gotten. I haven't very often, even in church, gotten the message that, no, there's this unbelievable power within you, Kyle. And that's where your resilience comes from. Because eventually, you're going to run out of strength. You're going to run out of experience. You're going to run out of answers. And you're going to run out of sanity. At some point in your life, those things are going to happen to you. And what are you going to do when you get out into that space? I don't know. I just never had a lot of people say, man, that's where Jesus Christ is going to meet you in the most beautiful and awful and painful and wonderful ways. Like right out there where you're just like, I can't do this. Like that's where he meets us. And I love that. And that's what today's message is really about. So we're going to be in uh, today a lot. We'll be in First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians chapter 4. So if you got a Bible, uh, I'd love for you to join me. I'll have it on the screen uh, if, just in case you don't. But this here, this passage specifically dispels a lot of truth, a lot of like, mistruth, misunderstanding of the truth, outright, outright lies that are out there. Because before I even read this, I just want to jump right in with this little lie that a lot of people have believed. 
God will never give you more than you can handle is a lie that people have repeated a lot. And they'll be like, well, no, 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 it'll be all right. You'll be okay because God's never going to give you more than you can handle. The problem is that's not actually in the Bible. What the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10 is that God will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle. So it's about a sin issue. So you've got somebody in your life that's trying to get you to do something you know is going to be harmful or sinful. God's going to, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, he's going to give you a way out of that. He's going to give you strength to stand up underneath that. But we take that and we just say, hey, God's never going to give you more than you can handle. Ergo, your life's not going to really be that bad because God's not going to do that to you. But what this passage says specifically from the Apostle Paul is you are going to get more than you can handle. 150 million percent, you're going to get more than you can handle. So this is an incredibly important passage to understand because what happens if you believe that God will never give you more than you can handle and then he does give you more than you can handle? What then? That's when people walk away from their faith. That's when people get disillusioned and upset with God because for years they believed something that's not actually in the Bible. Right? So I just want to start there before we even jump into this passage to say, okay, so when we do go beyond our strength, what then? So here's Paul, again, a guy that spread Christianity to all of Europe, a guy that was beaten to death, left for dead, a dude that knows suffering and unfairness. This is how he gets into what resilience is. Like, this is the definition of resilience. So let's jump in. So verse 7. Now, we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power, this extraordinary power, just in our little clay jars that we are, may be from God and not from us. So this power does not emanate from us. It's within us. He's saying, look, if you have Christ as your Savior, and Jesus Christ said, if you follow me, I will give you my spirit. The same spirit that we read earlier that raised him from the dead. The same spirit that created everything. Jesus says, that's the trade-off. You follow me as Savior, I will give you my spirit. So he's starting off with something very profound here. You are nothing more than a clay jar. And what do clay jars do if you drop them? Break. They're fragile. You ever tried to fix one? I have, and it looks awful, right? It's cracked everywhere. It's got like little like holes in it and stuff like that. And so I think if we can have the humility to start off just by saying, I'm just a clay jar, right? I'm just a clay jar. I've got my chips. I've got my little cracks. There might be a little like holes you can see through. I'm not indestructible, and I'm not meant to be. Nor was I ever meant to be indestructible. But I talked to a new mom and how stressed they get because they feel like they're supposed to be indestructible. And they're wondering why they have these kids that are crazy, right? And they're like, oh, what am I doing wrong? How many parents have wondered, man, how much am I messing my kids up? I love them so much, but I feel like I'm blah, 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 blah. Right? And then extrapolate that out. Dads too, people, you know, employers, everything. It's like, as a pastor, I feel that way. How much am I screwing up with these people? Hopefully not too much, Jesus. You know? Like, we can second guess, and we can do all that. And he's like, look, you're a clay jar, you're imperfect, but inside you, you have this superpower. You have this extraordinary power that created the universe that's been given to you as a follower of Jesus. The power is within you, but not from you. So I just want to make sure I drill down really deep into that, because it sets everything else up. So he says, look, this is what we've experienced. Again, this is resilience. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed. I don't know what to do, but not in despair. We're persecuted for our faith. We follow Jesus and we're being killed for it. But I know we're not abandoned. I've got community. I've got Jesus. 
we're struck down, but even so, I'm not destroyed. That right there is the picture of resilience. This is massive suffering. Massive suffering and unfairness. And yet, he's able to say, I'm not destroyed. I'm not abandoned. I'm not hopeless. I'm not a loser just because life has been kicking my butt. Essentially is what he's saying. So there's real power in this, but again, if, you don't, if you're a follower of Jesus today, and I know not everybody is, but if you are, and you aren't understanding this, like this is a mind shift that has to totally happen, a heart shift that totally has to happen in you before you really understand the promises and the power of God. And I personally, as your pastor, have walked through long seasons of my life where I didn't really recognize the power of the Spirit that was in me. I'll work hard, I'll read scripture, I'll pray, I'll love people, I'll do the right things, and that's what it was about. And I would forget, no, I'm going to run out of strength eventually. I need to have God pouring into me as well. And this kind of stuff is so important. Because he's not crushed. He's not despaired. He's not abandoned, not destroyed. God's going to give you more than you can handle. God's going to give you more than you can handle. I know it. I've seen it. And when you're pushed beyond your limits, I think that's where God is going to meet you, if you're willing to see him. In that unfair space out there. That's where he's going to meet us. And that's where I've seen God do unbelievable things in my life and other people's lives. And I just can't do this anymore. And all of a sudden, it's like, man, that's where they need him. It's a, it's a powerful thing, but it's not an easy thing. So the real power to thrive, Paul essentially is saying, not just survive, comes from God. I honestly believe what you see in the New Testament is that Jesus Christ actually wants you to thrive in the midst of everything that's going on. Like, life is going to be awful, but you can still thrive. That's a, a really weird message that you see in the New Testament over and over and over again, and especially here in 2 Corinthians 4. And that power that you see, that extraordinary power that comes from God, not us, in verse 7, that kind of power is what we started this reading today out of Romans 8. I wonder, does this affect you? Do, do you, like, do you think about this? The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, fellow Christian, or is, is your first instinct to go to that right there? No, 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 I've got this. this I've got this because I know I've got this deep well within, within me. Or do you go to fear first? Do you go to anger first? Do you go to gossip first? Do you go to politics for your answers? If I can just find enough people that agree with me, I can get all those other dummies to stop talking. Right? If I can just, if I can just, if I can just. Right? Like, or do I say, no, no, I've got the spirit of Jesus who, who was raised from the dead. Like that kind of thing inside of me. And that's my first go-to. And that's what Paul is arguing for here. So in this book, another theme that, like, that Eldridge used to tie all this together is the, the camels. That's why I left him. It's not on the book cover, but I wanted to do that because much like camels, he argues, a camel can go like seven months without water. And then it'll just drop dead like that. And Eldridge says our spirits, are, our souls are a lot like that. We can go and go and go and go. Keep pulling on these reserves until all of a sudden you can't. And you're disillusioned, you're angry all the time, you're depressed, you don't want to get out of bed. It's like your soul just isn't done, I quit. And we're seeing a lot of that, a lot of that in our society right now. Man, it's like, it's, it's a real problem. Our government has no idea what to do with. And I just think that there's something different that needs to be done that's much deeper inside of who we are that doesn't have to do with the externals so much. And so... This right here, he uses to talk about this, like how our souls are like camels, and then this river of life, and how we can really, really step into this. And if you're willing to say that, like, okay, I've got to be able to draw on something that is eternal. I live in a temporary world, but I can draw on something eternal, and I'm just a, a, a clay pot, man. I'm not Superman. If you can get there, I'm not Wonder Woman. If you can get there, 
man, that's when you really start to say, okay, so how do I tap into this? How do I do that right there? And what Eldridge says is once you get there, and you're in Psalm 42 I, I shared a couple weeks ago. When you get to this point right here, yep, because I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? Like, where are you? Like, when are you going to hear me out, Lord? Right? And then he says, my tears have been my food day and night. So when you get to that kind of place in your life, like that kind of difficulty, you can be honest enough to say, okay, I can feel this. This doesn't make me bad. This doesn't make me weak. I don't need to be ashamed because of this. But man, Lord, my soul in verse 1 of this passage says, like the deer pants for water, so my soul longs after you. Like I need you. Like that for me is a very powerful place to be. Like I'm not going to be shamed by that. But I know that I can walk into this church and my life could be a total train wreck. And when somebody comes up and they're like, oh, hey, how you guys doing? I'm like, oh, we're set. You know, we're really good. I, I don't have to do that. That's not what church is. I can go and find somebody and say, I need you to pray for me because I feel like I've been eating my tears day and night for food. Like, I, I just need somebody to come alongside me right now. Like, that's what it's supposed to be. And so being humble enough to admit that first, I think that's when we start taking steps like the next Psalms talk about. Like, this is a mind shift right here. Psalm 62 and 63, just a couple verses out of each one. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. Like, there's this, this, like, this peace right in the middle of this warlike atmosphere that these psalmists always find themselves in. Right in the middle of persecution, right in the middle of hatred from people that love you, my soul can still be at peace, waiting in silence. From Him comes salvation. From God comes my salvation. In the next verse, he says, He alone is my rock and my salvation. He alone is my fortress. And I wonder, could you take these last words here as your battle cry? If you are a follower of Jesus, if you believe in the words that Jesus said to us and the promises he gives us, could this be your battle cry? I will not be greatly shaken. Like, there is so much that comes from a Savior that gave his life, yes, but created the world and says, I want you to have that same spirit within you so that you can boldly say, I will not be greatly shaken. Because the world is going to kick your butt. We've been praying for people in our church, right? We've been praying for this family right over here that God is going to give them strength, that God is going to be with them. A family member right here that came in, right? You go on vacation and little mosquitoes show up and just change everything for several months, right? It's like when you step into that, when you're eating your tears day and night, but be able to say, I'm not going to be greatly shaken in this. Like that right there is where the rubber meets the road of your faith to understand that you have this deep well of power and strength and peace and confidence in you that's in you but not from you. Like that's the real life stuff. Your life is going to be really hard. But he's saying, I will not be shaken. Like there's so much power in that. And then Psalm 63, very next Psalm. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Right in the midst of all this, Lord, let my first step be seeking you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you and is in a dry and weary land where there is no water. It's a hard place to be. Right? So running to where our souls are yearning is, is the point of all this. And as I've said almost every week, you may need to seek professional help. I don't want people being like, oh yeah, just pray more and pray deeper and pray harder and read more scripture and then you're just going to be fine. There's a lot of truth to that. What God can do through prayer, through praying with other people, just encouragement from other people, but sometimes people have some pretty serious scars. 
and they need to go learn some different skills. They need to learn a different road forward than the one that they keep going to. So if you do need help, yes, come and talk to us because we have networks. We have people that we, we know we can trust because you don't always know if you can trust the counselor. But we try our best in this area. But I want you to know, though, that God says right here, you can come and find this strength. Right? You can find this peace. You can actually do this. And I've seen it in people's lives. I know that. I've seen it in my own life. If you've heard my story before, i got a pretty messed up past. A lot of brokenness in my past. A lot of trauma in my life. And yet, I've watched God do unbelievable things in me and through me. So this isn't just like ideas I'm talking about here. This is me like learning to lean into this stuff in my life. So then after this, so after the, like I'm in a dry and weary land where there is no water, he, Eldridge makes this interesting observation. And he says he wonders if God actually made us to rely on outside resources for our life, like physically and relationally, emotionally, like we need others, we need other things. Did God do that so that we would learn a spiritual lesson? And I think it's an interesting point to make because he says this, like look at this about our own bodies. He says that we need, next slide, he said we need two to three months without food, right? Like, like, like if you go that far, you're going to die. And I thought two to three months, that, that seemed way too long when he said that in the book. And I looked it up, and sure enough, uh, a person can actually make it two to three months based on body composition. Obviously, we're all different. But a person can actually make it two to three months without food. But you need food. You're, you will die eventually. And then 11 days without sleep and three to four days without water. I knew those ones, but uh, that's pretty bad. Going 11 days without sleep, that'd be a pretty rough way to go, I think. But we need these outside things. And then lastly here, your heart can make it about max four minutes without oxygen. And so Eldridge in his book is just like, I wonder if he did that so that we would realize our, our dependence on something outside of us. Like there's a spiritual lesson to be learned there. And I don't know, I just thought it was an interesting thing to bring up. But he says in his book that Jesus alone gives us the grit not to quit. Like, this is the promise of the New Testament. Like, this is the promise. Like, this is what it's all about. Like, Jesus actually, like, this is like a real deal thing that Jesus says, it's going to be tough, but I alone will give you the grit not to quit. I'll be that well that never runs out. But we have to fill that well back up. A lot of us don't think about our souls a lot and how our souls are doing. And then he takes all of that information, Eldridge does in his book, and he says, okay, we've got this well we can tap into. We've got this power available to us, but we're going to have to do that in the midst of what he calls desolation. This is what we've seen the last few years. We've seen people that are, again, it's the anger, it's everything that welled up and all the race riots and all the riots that were happening and all the different things that were happening, like all that stuff during COVID that was happening because it was already under the surface. And then the tension and the trauma and the pressure from that time made it all spill out into our culture all over the world, but especially here in America. And so this desolation of just greed and anger and selfishness, like all these things that were there, it's like, okay, so we're going to have to live our lives in the midst of that, of death, sickness, sin. Like, this is our reality. This is life. But it doesn't mean we have to be depressed. But Jesus is real clear, like, but that is going to be the reality of life. You're going to have to face sometimes a lot of that kind of stuff. And so he takes that and he says, all right, now desolation, there's a trauma response to that. And one of those trauma responses to that is hoarding. It's actually greed, and it's actually going into this scarcity mindset. And one of the weirdest, to make this real for you, one of the weirdest ways we saw the trauma response to desolation during COVID and people having this hoarding mentality was with what item? Toilet paper. In your whole life, did you ever think that we would have a toilet paper shortage and that people would be in stores fist fighting over toilet paper? 
Did you ever think you would text somebody and be like, hey, I'm at Walmart right now and they're putting out some toilet paper. You better get over here. Do you want some? Never in my life did I think I'd be doing that. I actually texted somebody, hey, Adam's down in Munson, has some toilet paper. You better get over here. And as I'm texting this, I'm like, what world am I living in right now that I'm actually sending this text message? And I'm all excited. Like, there's, you know, but man, people got weird with that. And there was medication. There was all kinds of stuff. And so our trauma response to this, one of those is the scarcity mentality. I'm just not going to have enough. So they go into like freak out mode and they just start hoarding. That's a trauma response. And we saw it on grand scale during COVID. So he, just, like, he's a therapist, right? So he's taking all this and he's, he's trying to think through this biblically. He's trying to think through this, how we respond to it. And he says on the flip side of all that desolation is that Eden glory. And it's an important point in the book. And one I can't get into a lot this morning, but... He says, if you, and I want you to just think through this. Like, most people don't realize what heaven really is. So, in Genesis, you have Eden. You have a garden. Most people are kind of somewhat aware with the Garden of Eden, right? It's beautiful. It's perfect. Worship, connection, and service, what we have, you know, all over our church, were perfect there. Worship meant there was, like, a perfect relationship with God. Connection, there was perfect relationship with one another. And I'm sure most of you have perfect relationships with your spouses and kids and friends, right? But that was all perfect. Relationship with God, connection with Him was perfect, and service was perfect. They were serving one another. They were serving God. It was like, it was perfect. And then desolation came. We're going to live in the midst of that. And heaven, if you weren't aware, the book of Revelation, all that is, is Eden being restored. Heaven is a very physical place. Go read Revelation. It's a crazy book. But at the end of it, you're going to see a physical Eden restored. That's what heaven is. And a lot of people just think heaven is like this cloudy place somewhere with the harps and the dresses. It's not. It's a restoration of Eden. That's all the Bible is. It's the beauty of Eden, the fall of sin, desolation, life, difficulty, death, sin, all, these, all this tough stuff that we have to deal with. And then at the end, is this restoration of the perfection. It bookends the whole Bible. And so what Eldridge says is that's something then, that's God's intent, that's something we should be able to tap into. That kind of power, Eden glory, in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the desolation, is what we have access to. And I realize this seems like, again, it's all very theoretical, it's all very spiritual, and it's like, well, yeah, it is. Like that's, like, that's who we were made to be, this, this reliance on this kind of power, this kind of spirit in us. And so what he does is he then takes that idea, and then he fleshes that out in 2 Corinthians 4, where we've been. So I want to jump back into 2 Corinthians 4 and just look at the whole idea. So we started off reading verses 4 through 9, but I, just, I want to give you the full idea that Paul talks about. So again, just to kind of repeat this one verse here, he said, Now, we have this treasure in clay jars. So that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. So this, this is undergirds this whole entire thing that he's about to get to the rest of this chapter. Then he says in verse 8. Next verse. Can we go? Or is walking? Um, nope. Just go to the next one, verses 8 and 9. He says, we are afflicted. Uh, next, oh, next slide. There we go. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed but not in despair. Remember from earlier. So all these bad things are happening. All these difficult things, yes, are happening, but I'm not hopeless. Verse 9. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Again, that is the definition of resilience, is being able to move through those things and not just be crushed by them. So then, in verse 16, he jumps a little bit ahead, or we jump a little bit ahead in his discussion, and he says, therefore, because of all that stuff, because that's true, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person 
is being renewed day by day. That's an interesting thought, that even though your body is going to get older and it's going to break down on you, your soul can actually get stronger. Like your soul, which is incredibly important to you, can actually get stronger through struggling and difficulty. Right? It's like that's an interesting idea to to pull out of that as far as resilience goes and what we're building inside of us. And then verse 17, next verse. Our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. That's a really big verse. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So even though, again, a truth I want you to pull out of this, because it can be like, well, this momentary light affliction, this is really bad. This is hard stuff. This is not just some light little thing. But what Paul's saying is not that it doesn't matter. He's saying that your pain is momentary, but it's not meaningless. Your pain isn't meaningless. It is real. It is your suffering when you go through these times, but it's not meaningless. There is a preparation. There's something happening. Because here's what I do sometimes, and I know what you do. God, why is this happening? And in the book, Eldridge says, you know, as a challenge, instead of saying, God, why is this happening? Maybe step back from the pain. It's very real and say, Lord, what do I need to learn? Some of the strongest Christians I know, man, they get really good at saying, Lord, what are you doing here? What do I need to learn in this? Not, I just don't want to skip through it real quick. Not that we want to suffer, and I don't want any of you to have to suffer, but it's like, when we're in those moments, Lord, what am I supposed to learn? God, what are you doing in me? What are you doing in my family through this? You know, I've heard it said a long time ago, don't waste a good crisis. If you're going to face crises, which you will, don't waste them. Don't waste them. What are you doing to learn? What are you learning to grow? How are you becoming stronger as a believer? How how am I becoming a better father, a better husband, a better friend, a better pastor? How are these things making me better as I go? Like, don't ask why. Ask what. What do I learn? What do I learn? It's it's a great lesson that somebody told me a long time ago. Because ultimately, we want to let our trouble transform us. Again, what he talks about in this book is letting your trouble transform you. Because it's going to happen. It's going to come. And will you handle it with that mindset? And no, if I'm a follower of Jesus, I've got this deep, deep well within me. I have this deep, deep well within me. And then he closes up, verse 18, closes up this idea, this section. And he says, so, we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul's drawing right now in the temporary from the eternal. He's trying to teach us something very real very applicable to your life about suffering and saying, look, there is this deep well you have access to. But that's for you to decide. That's for you to decide, like, am I going to believe the words of Jesus? Am I going to believe what he gave the Apostle Paul, what Paul lived out? Or will I first go again to anger? Will I go to Amazon and just start binge spending? Will I go to Netflix? Because, man, I can make myself happy there. What's going to be your first reaction? Is it going to be the drugs and alcohol? Because we're seeing that on a huge uptick after the last three years, right? Drug use and alcohol use because, man, we can't handle this. We're getting burned out. We're stressed out. So now people are just checking out. Like, again, I'm not just making ideas up here. Like, this is what we're seeing happen. And so as a follower of Christ, you have something different. And as Lydia prayed at the beginning of service, you have hope to give other people. I, I would hope that as a follower of Jesus, you would tell somebody about this. Well, I'm, not, I'm just not good with that, Pastor Kyle. And that doesn't cut it. Like we're talking about people really suffering here. Do we care enough to tell them that there is hope, that there is eternity, but there also is hope in this life? To share that message, that's our responsibility, not just Pastor Kyle's, right? We have this hope, as Hebrews chapter 4 says. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Will we share that hope? Will we believe that we have 
this kind of hope that we know what we have is eternal. So I want to end each week just uh, just getting you to think about these things, about these real life things. What are you doing in a response to difficulty? Right? Some things are not unhealthy, but some things really, really are. And so I want you just to kind of do some self-examination as we go. We're halfway through this series. And I want to end every series by doing two things every single time. One is to invite you in this journey with me. There's this app called the One Minute Pause. It goes along with this book. And it's done by, it's put out by Ransomed Heart Ministries. This is John Elder's ministry. And this 30 seconds, uh, I'm sorry, 30 days to resilience is something that I started last week and started really doing because this, this is a journey for 30 days, twice a day, where this is, this is where the rubber meets the road. I'm sharing this because this is how you do what I'm going to be preaching through for six weeks. It's how you apply the promises of Scripture. It's how to actually take what God has said and start being meditative about it in your own life. And this is difficult. I've admitted this before. This is one of the disciplines that's really difficult for me is to slow down and stop and just cut everything else out and not be doing something. If I'm reading Scripture, I feel like I'm doing something. But to slow down and just meditatively pray through Scripture, that's a skill I'm not good at. But this series, this book I've read, and now this app that I'm using has been great for my soul and for my stress level. You can't do this while you're driving. This, you will fail big time while you're doing this if you're driving. I've tried to do this, and I'm like, nope. Like, you literally have to cut everything else for like 10 minutes and just be like, I'm going to do this. And this is how he starts. How's your breathing doing? And I'm like, breathing's good. How are your shoulders? Are they, are they stressed out? I'm like, no. Right? And I feel it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I am, right? And you feel and he, like, makes you. Like, he's like, all right, stop. Take 30 seconds. Like, how, how are you actually doing physically? Are your fists clenched? No. Right? And it's like, and then he just kind of makes you do that. And he's like, all right, now let's, and then they just go through Scripture. The first day is John 15, Ephesians 3. Let me just pray through these, and then I'll pray over them. And that's what they do. It's like, let me actually connect with the promises that are in Scripture. So it's been great. So I want to encourage you, challenge you, I don't know, whatever, push you. To, to do this, to take this journey through Scripture and just pour into your soul and start absorbing some of these promises. All right? And that's the first thing. And the second thing I want to do is I want to end every Sunday with one of the prayers out of his book. So he ends every single chapter. There's ten chapters. He ends every single one with a prayer. They're all meditative. They're all very psalm-like. Some of them, like last week, was Psalm 23. Read a couple verses and then pray over those verses. Again, that's us trying to teach you how to do these things. How do you meditatively pray through Scripture? The prayer from today's chapter is just a, it's laced with scripture, but it doesn't reference any of them. A lot of these are just passages of scripture that he's just praying. So how do we pray scripture? How do we really connect with these promises? That's what this is. So I got it up on the screen. Each week I'll have it on the screen. I want you as we close out to make this prayer your own. Because I, I, I assume you're probably feeling some stress in your soul. And you're probably feeling those places that you need to just be able to relax and give to God and trust in the Spirit of God and go into that deep well. And especially if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what's available to you. And so whatever you need to do with this prayer, I just invite you to just, like, again, absorb it however you need to. All right, here we go. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I receive your glory into my being. I receive the glory that fills the ocean, the glory that sustains the sun. I receive the glory that raised Christ from the dead. I pray that your Eden glory will fill my heart, fill my soul, 
for my mind and my strength. I am your temple, Lord. Come and fill your temple with your glory. I also pray that your Eden glory would shield me against all forms of desolation coming over my life. And I renounce every agreement I might have made with desolation. Every agreement, large and small. I choose you, God. I renounce the falling away, and I choose you. Regardless of how I feel, I choose you, Lord. You are my God and Savior. I pray that your Eden glory would fill my life, restoring me, renewing me, granting me supernatural endurance and resilience. I also invoke your Eden glory over my life as a shield, over my household and my domain. I invoke your glory, your love, and your kingdom as my constant strength and shield. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, ruler of heaven and earth. Thank you, Lord. Amen. It's an interesting thing, this love, this this connection. When Jesus is asked what the most important commandment is in the Bible, he doesn't say, obey the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind and your strength. He says, love the Lord your God with all those things, which essentially is your essence, it's your being, it's everything that you are. Then Jesus, later in John 14, would say, if you love me, then keep my commandments. It's interesting, for God, it always starts with love first, and obedience will follow after that, because you realize God is good. You realize that if you love God, that's a very powerful word, if you do that, the obedience comes. But it's this kind of stuff, connecting with the heart of God and saying, Lord, I just want you to pour in me. I just want to love you. I just want to be in relationship with you. And let him do that work in you. Obedience is important. Don't walk away being like, Pastor Carl said I don't have to obey God. I just need to love him. Nope. Didn't say that. Didn't say that. So Lord, will you help us to do these things, to live these truths out, to own these things, to, to drink deeply from the river of life, Lord. And I do that. I do pray that with thanksgiving. Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. That's all we got this week. Love y'all. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.